This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 10th of January, 2023. Interesting day yesterday because we had a European session with all things uh, singing, dancing, all cylinders firing. We got the highest close since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Some uh, of that energy following through into the U.S. session where that squeeze continued pretty remarkably so. But that key sort of zone, if you will, of resistance, the 3950 to 4000 area holding. And we actually erased all of those gains intraday. So, Peter, uh, let's uh, go through what happened yesterday. Uh, on the one day close, though, I'm seeing a lot of positive, uh, still a positive close on the one day on our theme baskets. Yeah, exactly. It was the um, a very good session for energy-related uh, theme baskets. So energy storage, green transformation, a lot of European names in, in those two baskets. And, <clears throat> and we also had nuclear power doing pretty well. And then bubble stocks. I think, and that may be back to you, John. So what really set off that 1.5% decline from the intraday highs in the S&P 500 futures uh, were the comments from uh, Mary Daly, from, uh, which is a Fed member, saying that she saw the policy rate going absolutely 5%, even a little bit above that. What was interesting is the market reacted to to that uh, news in the equity market. But if you look at the long end of the yield curve, that was hardly a move. It actually declined on the U.S. 10 years. So it, it, it's, it, that tells me that the market is just still betting that, you know, the Fed can talk all it wants, but it's not going to get there. Yeah, I, to me, there was just a this usual attempt to find attribution where there pro- probably was none. So why would equity <laughs> markets uh, move on news of these Fed speakers when the actual interest rates did not move at all on on the same Fed speakers and their non-voters as well? So yeah. we pretty much know what the uh, Fed's message is. What we don't know is what's going to happen to the actual data, but the market has a very strong uh, opinion of that. So if we, uh, I don't know if you, you don't have anything here for uh, the European equity market in terms of charts, but it was a pretty remarkable close. I wonder how the energy will, will develop today after that uh, somewhat weak uh, latter part of the session in the U.S. yesterday. But there is, uh, I think you had some comparative chart up earlier. Yeah, that it's, we were uh, it's on the next slide. Oh, okay, it, but, okay. But yeah, it, I'll let you talk through that because it really is uh, you know, interesting what's going on here in Europe. It's because I want to set the stage macro-wise first. So the Eurocoin growth indicator, I've, we have put it on the podcast several times before. It's the um, it's a live or real GDP tracker from Bank of Italy. It's used by the ECB among other indicators, of course. But it gives you a pretty good idea of the economic activity levels in Europe. And as you can see, we went into a free fall after the summer period when natural gas prices hit 300 uh, euros per contract and everything was just mayhem. And then everything has settled. And especially during December, and we'll see that in a, in a few seconds, <clears throat> the warm weather has really eased a lot of the constraints from the energy side. And you can see the Eurocoin indicator, the latest print here is for December, but bouncing back. So it, it looks very much like almost the pandemic, right? A very sharp, a sharp decline in, in activity. And now we're bouncing back pretty fast. And the households are pretty uh, robust as well. And when you look at the uh, the share price performance between the stock 600, which is the light blue line here on, on slide four, and the dark blue, which is the S&P 500, you can see that the real outperformance came just when or as the weather warmed here in Northern Europe. And as Ola has shown a couple of times, the season, seasonality charts where you can see that the natural gas storage levels are actually being built up in the, in, in Germany and, and other countries. And then, um, as you said, John, you 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 uh, you think it's too much in Europe, right? Well, uh, we have not solved the Europe's energy crisis because of one month of warm weather. But yes, uh, 
it's the offset and the move against the prior cycle of fear mm. and the spike. So it's natural to have some sort of mean reversion. But the question is, uh, beyond the very near term, what can you know? How much more can we wring out of this situation? If we go to the next slide as well with the with the euro dollar uh, on the slide five, the FX overview. There we have uh, euro dollar hitting a new high since uh, last June. Uh, clearing that 107 plus area. Uh, I put a momentum indicator just showing it's it's very critical when you're sort of reach these inflection points. It's been a very sharp rally. I think to to continue to drive it, we'll probably need to see lower U.S. yields, uh, and that will be important into Thursday's CPI data, the market reaction around that. But we have the dollar breaking down here in a couple of places. It, it did so recently against the Aussie. Uh, I'm just not sure if I'm all in on this move. Um, we did see a reversal in risk sentiment yesterday. The U.S. dollar will remain sensitive to risk sentiment. And we have this incredible repricing of the Chinese renminbi. I mean, just look, pull up a dollar uh, CNH chart. and A huge uh, move back lower. Finally finding a little bit of support that moved lower overnight. It feels like ahead of this uh, Chinese New Year, we've, we've priced in a heck of a lot for China. So could there be a bit of a pause around this? Uh, I'm just not sure I'm fully on uh, onto this move uh, just yet. But we'll I'll have to see, of course, how the market reacts to the CPI print on Thursday. And and Ola, with with all this, all things China, just really in focus here. Where where are you focusing your efforts and attention in, in commodities here? Well, I think we have to uh, focus very much on the uh, on the developments on the the, the dollar that you talked about, uh, John. Because if we do see a peak uh, in some of these uh, other currencies. Then obviously we could uh, run into a period of consolidation because there has been a very strong run up. Uh, we've seen both in, in industrial and uh, precious metals. I think the focus just in the short term is really on on copper because it's been it's really signaling a lot of uh, about what's what's happening in China. What's the market belief is going to happen? So uh, so keep an eye on that uh, that four or eight level in high grade. We broke above four hundred or uh, four dollar a pound yesterday. So four or eight. That's basically the halfway mark of that uh, retracement we saw uh, throughout uh, 2022, so uh, the next key level. But I'm also watching, you talked about the energy crisis in Europe, and uh, as I put in the slide of the, uh, on slide six, the uh, European gas price. And as you can see, we have, we bounced a little bit, but uh, considering where we come from, it's a, it's a pretty swallow, a shallow bounce we're seeing here. And uh, part of the reason is that is basically also the reopening of China. On the right-hand side there, you can see the, the price, especially for uh, for Dutch gas and Japan to Korea, that these are both uh, obviously uh, depending on on LNG supplies, and you can see just recently Dutch gas has dropped below uh, the price in Asia, and that will obviously attract more gas to uh, to Asia than than Europe, and that uh, that is the reason why we in the short term potentially could see prices move a bit higher. Also, uh, there's a cold front coming in, or at least uh, it looks like towards the end of uh, January, both in the US and in Europe. We could be hit by by another cold front, which obviously will increase the demand. But at this point in time, it looks like we're going to exit uh, this uh, this heating season with gas levels um, at or above fifty percent, which is obviously very good for the for the coming build season. Yeah, I just have a comment because when you look at the chart to the right, uh, you get this sense that wow, uh, Europe is really bad, uh, and and the same with Japan, Korea relative to the U.S. and it's partly because you're looking at the prices on the y-axis, right? Because if you if you if you actually scaled it from t from the early 2019, you had the natural gas in the U.S. around two two and a half dollars per therm, right? Mm -hmm. And you reached a peak of ten, so that's a factor of four. Uh, and back in early 2019, we were actually paying ten dollars a therm in in Europe, and we reached you know seventy sixty on your chart here, or even a little bit slightly higher. Mm -hmm. That's a factor of five, six, seven times. 
it's just where it's just sometimes we have to be a little bit careful when we look at charts like this and make it makes it look like it's a catastrophe whereas in in actual percentage terms the us was hard a hit pretty hard as well at ten dollars per term yeah right but now that's been chopped by 67 yeah, 67 percent on this latest rundown but it I is just like to be the devil's advocate here yeah, yeah. but it's a, a remarkable retreat and uh, it is feeding a lot of the market's anticipation of this rollover in the inflation data so yeah energy markets are, are a key obviously a, a very key component of uh, inflation and just to round it up if you should ask well why why do we still have such a big gap between us and uh, gas for the rest of the world that is obviously due to the the cost of uh, of uh, producing LNG, uh, both into uh, into the into LNG and back into uh, into gas, and the transportation of uh, of gas across the seas, and and we we obviously know that that the LNG tank owners they have had a very very strong uh, run up in um, in, uh, in in earnings this uh, this past year. So so um, that's where the that's where the gap is uh, is coming from. All right, let's go back over the equity market. We were talking this morning, Peter, you and I, about Google, and there's a very fascinating story and and this general discussion around these chat um, AI chat. I, I really, I'm, I must plead ignorant in how how this all works. I mean, you, you need to take us through why there's such huge interest in the potential for these AI chat bots or whatever they're called to replace Google. And I guess uh, some of the potential of this is very evident in this news about Microsoft investing in the space. Yeah. So. Um... There are talks about, or there are news out that Microsoft uh, is in talks to invest $10 billion in OpenAI. And OpenAI uh, started at, as this research organization in in various uh, AI applications and was very much in the beginning um, portrayed like there was going to be nonprofit. It was for the humanity, going to solve a lot of things. And it just looks more and more increasingly so that this is going to be for profit. Um, <clears throat> and um, they recently published this chat uh, GPT which uh, within a one week got a million uh, better users. And uh, it's what is called a large language model. So it's uh, it's a very deep neural network. It's trained on millions and millions and millions of uh, of data points. Uh, it's something, it's using something called reinforcement, uh, reinforcement learning models, et cetera. And what it can do is that it can answer pretty complicated questions. So Anders uh, in our team, he set up a user and we said, can you write a poem about Saxo? And it just started out writing a, a poem, and, and and you can see it was done maybe from a machine, but it was it was actually quite good. And you could you could just basically answer all sorts of questions. It doesn't really have a good memory, so you could have a conversation with it as well as a as a as a chat function. And then you can sort of say, "I oh, my my dog is called Freddy," and then you can return back later in the conversation, like, "Do you remember what my dog is?" And then it it really doesn't know what you're talking about. So there's no no memory uh, in it. But it's very advanced, and there are talks about that this could maybe be the thing that upends uh, Google's uh, classic search engine business because what you're essentially doing when you do the Google search is that you type in some type of a keyword. We've been very used to that now for, 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 for 20 years or so, right? And then we, we get all these... Uh, uh, we get all these websites that have very a lot of links to it, and then we need to filter through what is the right uh, answer to my question or what I'm looking for. Whereas here with the chat GPT, you get a pretty sophisticated answer immediately. So this is sort of the idea. And I think Microsoft is is try for a long time to get into the search business. They 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 failed miserably. And maybe them investing ten billion is is a, is a new attempt for Microsoft to compete with Google. And you want to say something? Yeah, Peter. So this is basically the death of um, of uh, online exams. So schools and universities have to revert to pen and paper because you can just uh, you can just ask Google to uh, write your essay for you. Well, yeah. Not Google, you can ask uh, Chat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's already been talks here in high schools in Denmark that they are going back to paper and pencils, um, or at least if you want to have something that is digital, you need to create a controlled 
yeah. uh, digital experience for students where they they don't have access to these type of tools and maybe a limited internet access. I don't know. Maybe you can prohibit uh, certain applications and websites, for example. But yeah, very interesting. And then Broadcom, we're hi- highlighting Broadcom. They this is a U.S. company. It's uh, they manufacture uh, chips for various um, communication uh, equipment applications, etc. They use a lot of Apple's um, products, and there's again there's news out that Apple that we they have already done it with their with the main process that are running the smartphones that where they they cut out their uh, their main supplies by using in-house designs and then going to TSMC this, uh, this foundry uh, business model. And they have done the same with the. They have done the same with the with Broadcom now, and they are planning to uh, to use their own chip by two thousand and twenty five. All right, uh, and then on the earnings front, we've talked a bit about it. We've previewed it. We have the big financials in the U.S. coming up on Friday. Anything between now and then? No, I, I think actually I've said what I, what I wanted to say about it. I think you should listen to uh, yesterday's uh, podcast, and we I think we also talked about it on on Friday's podcast. I I will do a little bit more. Uh, Lengthy, lengthy talk on uh, on Friday, but then also look ahead for next week because that's really when things are kicking into gear. Yeah, and I've been seeing some uh, articles uh, discussing there's actually very robust lending going on because people are flush. Uh, their private the private balances are very flush after all the uh, pandemic stimulus. It's leading to a pretty robust credit cycle. It does not fit well with the very strong recession narrative that no. is out there. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see, especially the Main Street banks, uh, the Wells Fargo's, and, and maybe the regional banks as they come in further down the line here. All right. And then on the um, macro calendar today, uh, we have to note that there is a big central banker conference in Sweden today in Stockholm. A number of speakers out there, as you can see in the overview on slide nine. We'll also hear for the first time from the the Riksbank's new governor, uh, Tadin. We'll have to find out how that uh, central bank governor finds the feet. There's not a lot of information on where where that uh, individual sits on the hawkish dovish spectrum. And uh, people are curious to hear from the Riksbank in the uh, first and their first meeting in February, but we'll get a, a preview perhaps today. Powell also out speaking there, as is uh, the Bank of England's Governor Bailey and others. So do note that we also have Australian data up overnight. Retail sales and especially that November CPI could move things there again. Aussie dollar making a bit at some really interesting levels above the 200-day moving average and a new uh, highs above the prior range there. So it's sort of a make-or-break uh, situation for for that pair and for many dollar pairs. And again, it's all combined. In that uh, single pair, the, the direction of the dollar and this uh, hopes over the Chinese reopening process. But the macro event of the week is the CPI release on Thursday. We'll be watching for that. And as well, uh, in terms of supply and demand for treasuries, we have the first auctions of the longer uh, maturity treasuries this week. We have a three-year auction today in the U.S., 10-year tomorrow, and a 30-year T-note auction um, on Thursday. So do note that. All right, I think that's a wrap for today. We're finding our legs with the new audio equipment. We'll uh, see if we can... Um, I continue to deliver with the uh, with the new stuff here. Have a great one. We'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>